Hello and welcome to Founded and Grounded podcast. This is the launch of Series 4. We're really excited to be back and I'm really excited to join the team because I'm a different voice this time around. Every episode we take the real world experience of established entrepreneurs and we share their learning with you so that you can apply it to your own life and your own business. My name is Laura Rawlings. I'm one of the co-hosts and I'm really delighted to be joining Ollie Collard who is the voice that you will recognise from previous series. Hi, Ollie. Good afternoon, Laura. It's fantastic to have you on board on the Founded and Grounded show. Great to be here. When I got the notes through about everyone, your biography, Andrew said, I had to say, he's the business startup guru. That's the way he must be introduced (laughs) each time. Oh dear, yeah, no, he definitely inflated my ego. However you want to describe me is fine. But yeah, on that note, I just say a massive thank you to Andrew for his blood, sweat and tears and all his audio expertise that he's given found and grounded over the last three years. 50 episodes and we've achieved a lot together. Uh, and more importantly, we've developed a very nice friendship as well. A big thank you to Andrew, but very excited for the next chapter of Founded and Grounded and obviously having yourself on the show, Laura. Yay. Ollie, tell me a little bit about you because I have a I have an idea of what it is that you do. I know that enterprise runs through you and business startups. So for anyone who is new to listening to us this series, let us know what happens when you're not podcasting. So I work with founders to help them grow their businesses. I do this through a growth accelerator called the Engine Room. And I also help founders apply for funding via the government backed startup loan scheme. And we've raised over four million pounds for founders to start and grow their businesses. Amazing. Wow. In terms of me, just to give you a little bit of background. So I've been working as a journalist for 20 years and I continue to do that. But alongside that, I've also got my own business. I began as a solution focused hypnotherapist. Don't worry, I'm not going to hypnotize you during the course of this podcast. (laughs) But I've niched into helping people with public speaking. So people who are really scared of standing up and speaking to a large group of people, whether it's for a pitch, whether it's for a big speech they have to give. I try and help them overcome some of those fears and learn some of the techniques that could help them. So that's just a little bit about me and Ollie as you're listening to the show and wondering who these two people are. Something that's also different about this series is I'm so pleased we've got two sponsors who've just joined us, which is fabulous news because it makes all of this possible. So we just want to give a shout out to them right now, actually, and thank them for their support and also let you know who they are and what it is that they do, because it may be that they're doing something that would be of benefit to you. In fact, I'm pretty sure they would be. So Ollie, tell us about Steve from Nova Blue. So Steve Mason is a serial startup founder. His background is actually working in cybersecurity with GCHQ. He worked as the technical director there and he's been involved in the cybersecurity world for the last 20 years. I'm really delighted to have him on board as a sponsor, but also he will be a featured guest later in the series as well. So Nova Blue, keep businesses safe from cyber threats so you can concentrate on growing your own business without worrying about cyber security. And Steve's got a great offer for our listeners too. He's offering a free cyber security check which essentially is a bit of an MOT it takes an hour to do and it basically assesses the risks in regards to cyber for your business so all that listeners have to do to take out this amazing offer is go to www.nova-blue.co.uk forward slash podcast offer again that's www.nova-blue.co.uk forward slash podcast offer.
And tell us about our second brilliant sponsor. So delighted to be working with another sponsor, which is a company called Tally Market. Tally Market essentially allows you to instantly book flexible workspaces around the country. And I think it's really poignant about what we're the world we're working in at the moment with obviously post-COVID, I think sometimes you can lack the inspiration, the creativity, the human element of working from home. Yeah. And I think actually by being able to go on and book a flexible workspace or a meeting room, connect with others or your team to be able to actually gain inspiration is a really important part of being able to grow your business. Tally Market are a startup themselves. So they really understand the founder journey and they were started by two female founders Laura and Jules and I'm delighted to say that both of them are going to be featuring later in the series so really look forward to having them on the show and they've got a fantastic offer for our listeners which basically includes five free passes for you so all you have to do is go to tallymarket.co.uk forward slash f and g so that's tallymarket.co.uk forward slash f and g yeah but don't forget we also put everything in the show notes as well so if you're listening to this without a pen and paper and maybe you're on the move just check out the show notes afterwards because all the details are there ollie you've had the pleasure of speaking to today's entrepreneur so tell us a little bit more about who it is and what it is that they do so i caught up with kelly who is co-founder of a company called zigzag and essentially they are disrupting the world of audiobooks. Obviously, we all know about the big incumbent in the space in terms of audible, but they're actually solving a problem of making audiobooks more engaging. And they've developed a new product called the Xbook, which is truly transformational. And I really look forward to our listeners hearing a bit more from Kelly. Tell us where you began in your conversation with Kelly. As with all conversations, Laura, I asked them, why did they get started? What inspired them to do it? What motivated them? Why have they gone out, put their head above the parapet and started their own business? I came back to audiobooks after 20 years away. And this was like 2018. And I was just really surprised how little the experience had moved on from the days of books on tape and books on CD. I was listening to Hans Russling's Factfulness on the tube, and the narrator said that in order to see all these brilliant infographics that were core to his story and what he was known for, I had to download a PDF from a desktop website. And it just felt, it was 2018, and I had worked in consumer tech for 20 years, and it just felt, gosh, this should be better. So I reached out to my co-founder, and I just said, I've got this crazy idea. And were you, was he up for it? I knew he could build it. And so once he said yes, we were off. So yeah, it was, it's a, an interesting story to start with. I completely get the problem as well. It's, yeah, it's actually about having the, all the information in the right place at the right time so you can have a great experience. So talk to me about that initial conversation then with Mark. How did it go from that idea to actually launching the business? He's just a builder. And, and we chatted about it, and he was a, a listener and a reader as well. So he completely understood the challenge and just really started building. We experimented a bit with speech-to-text and, and auto-generated voice, and we experimented with B2B business models. But in the end, we came back to the original idea, which is audiobooks are just not good enough, and they're not good enough because they're dominated by a single player in the market. So why don't we do something that kind of creates this better experience for people, enriches and makes more accessible this 
brilliant format, which is audio, where you get to hear an author tell you their story in their own voice and be able to read and do other things. It's the perfect format for the busy person. And we just wanted to make it better. So we then got into this our, a B2B business model. We settled on the brand ZigZag. And yeah, we built the app in February 2020 and just started attracting users to, to have a play around with it. What kind of validation did you do before launching it? Or was it literally build the app and see what traction you get from that? I think the first validation was actually just approaching Mark, my co-founder. He's a technologist, but he's also a brilliant strategic mind. Once he said yes, I felt, okay, that's one level of validation. And his family, he's got grown-up daughters, and they were also really excited about what we're doing. And then we talked to their friends, and they were also excited about what we were doing. So it, it's funny that we you seem to have hit on this problem and, and our solution is quite innovative, but we still were trying to build this all for ourselves. So we were trying to build a solution for the proficient reader who is busy and doesn't necessarily have enough time to, to read. And then what's interesting is that once you get it out there into the wild and you have customers that aren't like you listening and playing around with it, you start to realize that actually there are a whole load of people who are underserved by a market being dominated by a single player. And talking of the, the incumbent juggernaut in the space, how do you try and compete against that? Yeah, I guess it, we feel like we've built a more technologically advanced app and content platform in the industry. Our aim is to shape the future of books by making reading more accessible and more engaging and easier and more sustainable than it is today. And that we have the flexibility to do this because we don't have a legacy of physical printed books. And so we feel like if actually you can create just the most amazing digital experience for people, you can actually shift the industry towards dematerialization and, and digitization. I think if you think about our vision, it's think about your favorite digital news app and how good that is. And then think about how you can take a book and make it as good as that brilliant sort of consumer experience. So our tech takes human voice narrated audiobooks and indexes them to the ebook. And that creates these amazing experiences for listeners for the first time. Listeners can see illustrations in an integrated way. They can look up words they don't understand. They can take notes on what they're listening to. They can share quotes on social media. They can switch to reading or they can read along, which is incredibly valuable for those who maybe struggle with reading and want a solution that enables them to read independently. And yeah, I think we're available on both the app stores at the moment. We have 40,000 titles in our platform, about 95% of the UK bestsellers. And we don't believe in inflexible subscriptions, so we really allow people to buy when they're ready to listen. And we reward our customers for listening more. Amazing, Kelly. And in terms of funding to get the business off the ground, is this bootstrapped? Have you got any angel investment? How have you funded the business today? Yeah, we've, we've done everything. <laughs> so we started with some grant funding. We got an Innovate UK Smart Grant to start. We took a, a personal loan and, and we got a bounce back loan from the government. And that was like really critical seed capital for us. Then we raised an early friends and family round. And then we raised a bigger round in the last sort of six months where we brought in, we did a combination of angels and friends and family and crowdfunding and institutional investment. And so we've raised over a million pounds so far. And yeah, I'm just really excited that we that the 
investment is validating our progress and our impact that we're having and really allowing us to attract more customers to the to our platform. And talk to me about your customers then. So how many customers have you got today? Are you on both app stores, I assume? Yeah, we're on Android and iOS. 40,000 people have downloaded our app as of today, but it's just growing really fast. And what we're seeing is a shift towards younger listeners, which is really exciting. We, I think we've been spiking in the 18 to 25 year old category. And I think over a third of our business is based on those younger audiences. And we've said this, one of the challenges the publishing industry is facing is that they do really need to think about how they attract and retain younger readers. And we think that in order to do that, you have to create these incredible digital experiences that are engaging and satisfying for people who have really high expectations for digital experiences. We see ourselves as being a way for books to stay relevant to young people. And we think we're delivering on that based on the audiences that we're attracting. Fantastic. And in terms of your kind of background and wider career, Kelly, you mentioned obviously spending 20 odd years in consumer tech. Can you talk to us a bit more about your background? Is this your first business? And what were your kind of true motivations for starting up? I've got a a pretty unique background, I would say. I actually started my career in the US Army. So I went to West Point. I was, I think, the 16th class of women (laughs) to graduate from West Point. And there were only about 95 of us out of a class of 1,000. I suppose I've always had a, I've always blazed my own trail. I grew up outside of Boston in the US and no one in my hometown really went into the military. It just wasn't done. Yeah, it was just for me a way to declare my independence from my parents and to get some really good experience and to see the world. And so it's probably more ambitious and independent than entrepreneurial, but certainly developed the grit. I think there's a great book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And actually it's about West Point and the West Point experience. So there's the grit and persistence that I developed there, which I just think has set me up really well for my business career and also for starting my own company. And West Point in particular was quite fundamental for me because it was really the first place I was ever told I could be a leader. And and that was incredibly inspirational for me as a relatively small town girl who'd never even considered that before. So those are probably the early foundations of my independence. But I would say it took me a very long time to have the confidence to do something on my own in business. As I said, I've been in business for 20 years and only now feel like I'm in a position where I could build something myself. Yeah, no, it's a super exciting place to be though. And I, and this is my first venture and I don't regret it at all. I love hearing her story. It's so interesting. And it's the classic gap finders mentality, isn't it? It's like, why? This isn't how I expect it to be. I'm going to do something about it. There is a gap here. And I know a man who can make something (laughs) to make it happen. Yeah, it's the classic entrepreneur, isn't it? Like finding a real problem that bugs you. You get frustrated about it and just think, why isn't there a better solution on the marketplace? And obviously, Kelly's taken that frustration and turned it into a business, obviously, with the help of her co-founder, Mark, who is a, a technical guru. And yeah, really interesting about how they got started and the funding mix they actually went through to get it off the ground. Yeah, just in terms of the making it happen and how you do that, I thought it was really interesting when you asked her about validation, what validation she needed to know that this was a good idea to progress with. And that is something that I think many people have that moment of thinking, 
Because when you can't see it out there already, because no one else has made it before you, how do you know this something that people are going to want? How do you know entirely what it's going to look like? How much research do you have to do? Who do you have to go and talk to before? And that can be quite a dilemma to know how to get sufficient validation to know that it's worth doing. It's really hard, isn't it? Particularly when it's such a kind of innovative new to market concept where there's not really the same idea out there because you've got nothing you've got no baseline no No. nowhere to base it upon it's a really hard way to start a business I think people fall into two camps here it's sometimes it's I'm just going to go out there do it see what happens get some feedback and build from there which is I think personally is a really good attribute to have but the reason people don't do that is because they're scared they're scared in their mindset about why me? Am I good enough? Can I really do this? They might get told no. Some people aren't used to hearing no. So I think there's lots of obstacles that people put up in their mind that stops them going out and actually seeking feedback from the market. Other people take a more kind of analytical process, which sometimes is good because you get lots of data, but then you fall into the trap of paralysis by analysis. You literally don't get the idea off the ground because you've overanalyzed it. So I think somewhere there's a kind of a happy medium in between. And I think my advice always is to, to founders going out there and getting research is go and get research from your actual potential target customers. Don't listen to your friends and family who aren't going to buy your product or service. That's irrelevant. Mm. Go out and engage with your ideal target audience. I think that's 100% right because they'll tell you how you can be of service. And I also think, and I'm reminded of the progress over perfection. For anyone who is a perfectionist, I just think hearing Kelly's story was refreshing, actually. Part of this, you mentioned funding, was a really interesting part of her conversation and just how they raised the money from a total range of different sources and raising over a million so far. I find this area really fascinating. Is that quite typical, Ollie, in your experience of other entrepreneurs that they've got loads of different pockets and a model that evolves as their business grows? It's quite funny because I do a, a workshop on kind of sources of finance. And if I literally go through them, I'm just going tick, tick, tick of the ones that Kelly's tapped into. And yeah. I think having a kind of diversified portfolio of actually de-risking it and actually utilizing all the sources of finance that are on offer and actually coming up with a bit of a finance cocktail is a great way of starting a business because you're not relying on one specific strand say an angel investor or you were just relying on this grant and utilizing personal loans angel investors grants tapping into everything on offer is a great way to finance a business I think I like the idea of a finance cocktail. In another episode, we're going to have to talk more about finance cocktails and where money can come from, because I still think there is quite a bit of mystery around certain kinds of funding. And there's plenty of things that we can do to help people in making those decisions in where to perhaps source money from. Completely, Laura. Can I, can I just come in yeah. on the point next? I think it's really important. And I think particularly for people who are maybe thinking of starting a business and are listening to this, this is probably one of the biggest kind of objections or fears of starting a business is that I don't have the money to do it but when you actually dig into that and actually how much you potentially need to get a minimum viable product to market or a business to market it's never as much as you think it is and you've got to start somewhere and then if you don't start then it just never happens so actually don't let money be a barrier and I think if you're exploring all options then you're going to put yourself in good stead and we're actually going to hear more from Kelly on this in this next part and also I know she mentioned 
being in the military and that giving her a lot of grit and resilience. And that's going to come up in this next bit. So I'll hold my thoughts on that. And let's hear from Kelly talking about, as is tradition with Founded and Grounded, some of the challenges that she's experienced. We signed our first deal with a publisher within about five months of getting that publisher. Most of our deals have taken 18 months to sign, but we needed content to launch. Like we couldn't go to the market without content. So we signed our first deal with a, one of the big five publishers. And it was a very much a, a situation of here's a contract, take it or leave it. We don't know who you are. You've not really proven yourself in the market. You can have our standard terms and we really aren't going to negotiate at all. <laughs> so of course I took it and it was, I, it was still the right thing to do. But we then engaged a guy named George Walkley, who's been amazing for us in terms of helping us understand the publishing industry and developing our value proposition for publishers. The first time he walked me through that contract, everything that we had signed, he had me in tears. <laughs> and here's all, and all of this really valuable learning and yet feeling a bit powerless to have actually negotiated it myself. And it was a great lesson, which is definitely get help and get somebody who knows the space because they are absolutely transformational in your ability to, to prevent that happening in the future. And ever since that point, that first terrible deal, our deals have gotten better and better and the, the contracts are tighter and they continue to innovate them. And so we're really, really feeling confident in terms of the position we're in today with respect to publisher deals. Drawing on upon that slightly, because obviously you've got your two kind of distinct value propositions, one for the publishers and one for consumers in terms of the C market. Have they changed at all along the way? Definitely the publisher side has. I think because we've learned so much and because we're adapting from where we set out, we set out to do something. And we, we started almost with a, almost like a thought of a freemium model and then learned really quickly that the publishers were not going to support that. And I think you really do operate in these markets at the mercy of the publishers. And so we definitely had to iterate on our business model and our pricing model to make sure that we had listened to the feedback and got to a place where we could make it work and we could get it through the publishers and they would support it. And so that I would say has probably gone through the biggest transformation. And again, having an advisor in this space that knows it so well has been really powerful for us to evolve it so that we are really compelling, we are really exciting, and we know the reaction we're gonna get when we're pitching to publishers because we're asking them to change a lot of their existing model. And how do you also reassure them that the change is positive and that they will benefit from that as well? Coming back to something you said earlier about grit, determination, and some of the key ingredients for being a successful entrepreneur. Can you talk to me about any times where the shit has really hit the fan and you considered chucking in the towel or just those moments of self-doubt? Yeah, I think moments of self-doubt happen quite a lot. And I've not ever considered chucking in the towel, I will say, which I think is maybe a good sign <laughs> or just a sign of like sheer bloody mindedness. <laughs> but every day is nothing now. And we struggled at the beginning to raise money and we are seeing people tell their stories of raising two million on an eight million valuation with an idea. <laughs> and we had paying customers and we couldn't raise 500K. There's this old adage, it's probably easier to raise 5 million than it is to raise 500K. And I think that's definitely consistent with what we've learned along the way. But yeah, I would say this is that although there are ups and downs, the 
I put tremendous value on the power of having a co-founder. And when he's down, I'm up and we balance each other out. And when I'm down, he's up and he's, we pick each other up quite a lot. And I think that is, it's really important because it's not always going to be the best day. You're going to have really difficult moments. And just having that kind of team and the camaraderie of a team is what can help get you through. Outside of that, who supports you on either a strategic or a kind of personal well-being perspective? I've got a fantastic husband and two lovely children who are obviously the constants in my life and and they are keen listeners and readers as well. So they're great product testers. But I think in terms of the support network that I found probably most valuable as a founder is a network of other female founders. We're a very particular breed and and we have different needs and we're experiencing different challenges. And so the best thing I think was one of my angel investors connected me to 40 other women who are all around the same stage as we are. And that has just been, I'd say, transformational. So you've got a question, you pop it on the WhatsApp and 10 people will get back to you within four hours with, okay, here's how I did it. Here's who I would recommend talking to. Or yeah, let's jump on a call and I would walk you through it. And it's just been amazing. And I'm just super grateful for for that intro and that angel investor who has invested in 40 women companies over the last sort of two or three years. And yeah, I'm just really grateful for people like him. Excellent. The first thing I want to pick up on about this, I really appreciate Kelly's honesty here, but this is always the big one. And we're back to the money again. And it's knowing how much to charge knowing what your worth is or what your product or services worth is. And when you come in and you have no clue, knowing what level to pitch yourself at is one of the most challenging things to do. So her advice about getting help, I think, is invaluable, isn't it? It is. And I think the the mistake that most people make, Laura, is that they undervalue themselves. Yeah. So my advice is always go above what you think you're worth because you've always got room there to negotiate if you're going at a sort of higher level but you're completely right if there's no product or service on the market that's similar then you don't know where to pitch it what I would say is that you actually have to go with kind of more indirect competitors what I mean by indirect competitors is let's say you are setting up a new book club and you want people to come to that in their own leisure time it's like thinking about well You could look at other book clubs, but also you could look at what else is taking people's time in the evenings. Is it going out for dinner with friends? Is it going to the cinema? Uh, You've got to think about the trade-off with other indirect products that your product or service is actually having. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I've been into some of these conversations when I've been about to sign a contract. And in some sectors, there's quite a lot of cloak and dagger. It's really not (laughs) obvious what the score is. I'm thinking about my background being self-employed. And for a time, I had my own company as a media kind of company. And that was really tough in those early days of knowing what on earth you should charge for any of it. And I'm sure that will ring bells with lots of people. One of the things that I want to pick out now is what Kelly was talking about in terms of self-doubt. And she was saying, of course, yes, but never ever to the point of wanting to quit and this ties up with her experience in the military as well of teaching her to be resilient you might get knocked down but you get back up and she talked about two things that I think are so key if you're fortunate enough to have the first one and that's a co-founder she talked about the importance of having someone who's on this journey with you which I get what do you think Ollie? Yeah I mean being a solo founder myself I think I do miss out on having 
a co-founder because it's somebody that you can bounce ideas off. They get it. They know the challenges, the drama, the days that you're down and you feel like throwing in the towel or the days that you feel like you're unstoppable and you can do anything. And it's about that shared experience. And I think where co-founders really work is when they've got complementary skill sets so one person might be more analytical and financial the other person might be more creative and good with sales and marketing so I think it's about finding somebody that is complementary to your own skill set and also just making sure you're on the same kind of life trajectory because you could start a business with let's say a friend in your 20s and then one of the co-founders goes off and has a family and his priorities and outlook on life completely changes. Yeah. I think actually being on the same page is really important and being upfront about that and being honest about that is is really key to a good co-founder relationship. Otherwise, it like other relationships, it's going to ultimately end in divorce, which nobody <laughs> likes. Yeah, I know. And it <laughs> makes it hard if you're friends as well who decide that you want to work on something together because I think boundaries have already established themselves in quite a different way so to then move and work together is another level of interesting in terms of the wider support group she also mentioned the importance of her wonderful family but a network of other female founders as well and I'm sure there are many people who question the subscription they may have or might like to set up there are loads of different networking groups now whether it's online or in person but she was a really case for the absolute worth its weight in gold about being part of the right network this is so true i think because people just get it they are quite like-minded they're similar they're going through similar challenges they can share war stories they can get advice they can use each other as a sounding board they can pull contacts whether that's investors or suppliers they know each other's industries or they could be different industries it doesn't really matter what matters is that they're at a similar stage of business and then obviously you can niche down into different sectors whether you're talking about female founders or people from disadvantaged backgrounds or specific industries but the key is peer-to-peer learning is so successful because you can engage with one another on a certain level and get to where you want to get to far quicker and easier. And just to briefly reflect just for a moment more what Kelly said about being in the military, she said this gave her quite a different perspective right from the start of being in the military and how it gave her the grit and the ambition to set up her own company. I thought that was interesting and perhaps not surprising, even though I've not been in the military, I thought it might be like that. But what I thought was interesting was that she's two things. She said it was where she was told she could be a leader. So you reach that point in your life and I'm thinking, oh, you go all the way through school and you're not aware of that. And then it takes going into the military and facing all the challenges that that comes that actually you realise you could be a leader, but also that she was told she could be, again, another interesting point, but perhaps linked to also when she said she'd been in business 20 years, but it was only now that she felt confident enough to do it herself. Yeah, and I think that's quite staggering, Lloyd, because I think she's already got the, the mindset that she developed at the military, that grit, that determination. We talked about it before. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So it's about that getting up again when you get knocked down. And I think she already had that within her. And then another seed was planted about being able to be a leader and actually realise that. And that's a shift in her mindset. And I think she probably could have started a business earlier in all reality of it. But I think sometimes the issue is that people never feel ready 
there's never the right time. So I think sometimes you just got to take that jump and get started, really. Yeah. And he said the magic word mindset and the fact that it isn't fixed. So what you might have thought one day can be changed. You might have thought you couldn't do it, but you might have a big surprise for yourself in store. Something I know we will return to another day, definitely. You gave Kelly the task of looking ahead to the future of her business and how she wants things to turn out. I'm pretty sure she's got a solid business plan, so this wasn't a challenge, but to look ahead and say what she's hoping will happen and also to share advice. In five years, we'd love to be a global platform that's connecting people around the world who love books with one another and enabling the best digital reading experience that anyone's ever imagined. We talk about being the future of books and we would love to be the way people are consuming books in the future. We'd love to be having an impact in migrating people away from physical books to digital experiences and allowing publishers and authors to attract and maintain the attention spans of younger audiences to keep them enjoying books despite all of the competing demands for their attention. Is there going to be some sort of community element of the app in the future in terms of that integration of your customers? Absolutely, yes. So we are building a second version of our user interface at the moment that will be the precursor to starting to enable some of those social and community features. And we're really excited about it. And yeah, stay tuned. There will be a lot of more info on that. Kelly, one of the key parts of the Founding and Grounded show is asking our featured founders for just one piece of advice they'd have to distill down to pass on to somebody thinking of starting a business. What would that be? I guess off the top of my head, I would say don't listen to my advice. I think, And I say that kind of flippantly, but nobody knows your business as well as you do. And there are a lot of people out there who feel entitled to give you their opinion. But I feel like people need to earn the right to advise me. And I think people need to earn the right to advise you. Everyone's going to have an opinion. And you have to make this choice as to whether or not they are people who have enough skin in the game and have earned enough of your credibility to want to trust them. And that is, comes in the form of fundraising, both pre-fundraising and during the race when you've been rejected by an investor and they still want to give you some helpful advice. <laughs> Learning how to ignore some of that, I think, is actually a superpower for founders because you know, that's not to say you don't take any advice, but you do really need to be disciplined about what you listen to because you could, you can be whiplashed in multiple directions if you're listening too much to whatever else thinks. It's really interesting seeing how Kelly and her co-founder are developing this product, this new way of enjoying and experiencing audiobooks. Great to hear her vision for that and how they've got a growing young audience. The thing that strikes me most is about opinions and other people's advice and knowing who offers wise counsel and who you need to not listen to and that can be really tough can't it and any stage in your business actually but I think probably especially near the start there may be plenty of people ready to offer you advice how do you go about this it's really hard I think because when you're a startup founder and particularly those seeking investment there's lots of people floating around flocking around Mm. trying to give advice and uh, get involved with you because they they see that you've got potential in terms of you as a founder or you as a business yeah and I think that the ones that you have to be wary of are probably those who've never run or scaled a business 
because what can they base it on? Is it something they've read in a textbook? Because often the business doesn't work like that. So I think actually you want someone who's been there, done it, got the t-shirt and can actually speak in the first person about the experiences that they've had. And as Kelly quite rightly says, unfortunately there are lots of people trying to give their opinions. So it's about doing your own due diligence on who you think is valid enough to be able to give you that advice. Yeah. And also learning to trust your instinct as well. You're the person who has that vision. No doubt there are things you can learn, but yeah, trusting your own instincts and what you know about your business. As is tradition, you gave Kelly the opportunity to ask our listeners for their opinions, for their insight on what it is that she's doing at ZigZag. And there's a couple of areas that she would like some help with, and she is definitely best placed to explain that. So let's hear from Kelly and how you may be able to help with ZigZag. I'm structuring it in the sense of here are some ideas that we're working on. I would love to get people to talk about which one of these they're most excited about. And the first one is the social and community features. So we think we can enable the community of listeners and readers to engage with one another in the ways that you're seeing happen in Bookstagram and BookTok. And if we could create spaces in which authors and narrators create their own pages, we would love to enable people to maybe buy a cup of coffee for the author if they have enjoyed a book or buy a cup of coffee for the narrator who's and who's been amazing and giving you 10 different regional accents in this crazy thriller. So thinking a little bit around how do we create that kind of sense of community on the app and is something like that interesting. And we've got another idea around the challenge of eBooks and thinking a bit around eBooks today still feel very much like they're constrained by the printed book. And the printed book is constrained by the operational capabilities of a physical printer. So what if you could just innovate eBooks to be so much more engaging, like almost if you think about it, again, your favorite digital news app, how the pictures are there with the text and there's so much more, just a much richer experience around the eBook. And is that what people want? Or is, or is there a, is this expectation that it has to be basically the printed page, just electronic? And we think there's probably a different answer there. And then the last one is, how would people feel about advertising in a book? Why is advertising banned from books today? When what you're trying to do is bridge this gap between enabling authors to earn as much as possible on their creative content and enabling customers to pay as little as possible as they, because customers want it for free. So what if you could enable really high quality and rich experiences with advertising built in? Again, like the favorite digital news app, you could have pop-ups and click-throughs and oh, find out more information about in the book. And I think there's a sensitivity around that because people feel like the book is the book. But clearly there's this opportunity for additional revenue streams. And so those are some of the ideas we're thinking about. I'd love to hear what people think about those different ideas. Lastly, Kelly, where can people find you both in the app store and online? Yes, they can search for ZigZag, which is X-I-G-X-A-G on the app stores. We're on the app store and the play store. And you can also find us at zigzag.co.uk. So xigxag.co.uk. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. We're on BookTok as well. Yeah, we built a, an offer, especially for your listeners. Uh, our very first buy one, get one free offer, which they can access by going to zigzag.co.uk 
slash founded. xigxag.co.uk slash founded. Some really interesting questions there. And it does require, if you're someone who's an ebook reader, it does make you think differently about something that you've got used to doing a set way. So yeah, if you have any thoughts on what she said, please do feel free to share them. Don't be shy about your ideas. She genuinely would love to hear what it is that you think. If you head over to our socials, have a look, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, just search for founded and grounded, and then you can join in the conversation there. But yeah, don't hold back. She'd love to know what your experience is. And we all know how invaluable it is to hear from people who actually are interested in the kind of thing that you offer. So get in touch. That's also the way that you get to keep in touch with us as well. If you want to comment on any of what you've heard today, that's the same place to go and do that. So please do. We'd like to hear from you. If you've got any good ideas for who you think we should be talking to, we'd welcome hearing from that. Feel free to spread the word about Founded and Grounded. If you've learned something, it's great to be able to pass that on. We'd like to be a resource as well as an entertaining listen. But if we've shared something that's useful, please do pass it on because we'd like to spread the word and help as many people as we can. Thank you once again to our sponsors for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Ollie, who do we have next on the next episode? So we have a successful serial entrepreneur called Simon Squibb, who is running something called the Purposeful Project, which is all about facilitating new startup entrepreneurs. And and Simon's got a really strong view on how the government should be doing more to actually encouraging people to start a business. And he thinks the job centre should be replaced with a startup centre. Okay, there's going to be plenty to talk about when we get to that podcast. Thank you so much to you for listening. I hope everything is going well with you and yours. And we look forward to being in your company with our next episode. Take care.